All right, this morning we're going to continue. And of course, we had uh, such a beautiful message on Sunday about the fatherhood of God. And that message, just to say, it was, was complete in itself and was beautiful. And I just want to have some thoughts. I had some thoughts after that about uh, God being a father. And I just want to read. And what we can do is, the reason why we give these verses, the chapters and verses, is that once you hear them, because if that's not the message, you know, from here, what do you have? And the reason that, that, that I believe that God the Holy Spirit brings them back so that any of us can be able to give them is that then if we write them down or we have good memories, we can always refer to them for ourselves and be continually built up. You know, when we talk about it, and it's going to go into fatherhood, but when we talk about fatherhood and about having a father and understanding father as it is, in the scriptures. For the Christian, that's the only proper understanding. And, and, and a, a godly father, a earthly father, under a heavenly father, because that's who he is, and we'll see it in the scriptures, teaches us how to behave. He does. Very beautifully. But you do not have a father apart from Christ. You have to have Christ first to have a father. You just do. It's brought out beautifully in the scriptures. Again, like it was brought out, I mean, it's just so beautifully and precious on Sunday. But here, I'm going to read the scriptures, and the, what I love about them, I'm just going to tell you what I do. You know, God says, okay, turn here. <laughs> and he has me reading the scriptures, and he starts forming my thought and making my thought equal to his. Oh, my God. I mean, I can think just like God. Yes. All through the Bible, he's referred to as God the Father. And God, when it says God the Father, always speaks of a governmental God. He's God. He's ruling and he's reigning sovereign, whether he's Father or not. But to us that are in Christ, we have a Father. But only in him and only as he's expressed. And again, the way it was so beautifully on, on Sunday. Here is Matthew, the 11th chapter. And I, I'm going to read it from the amp because that way I don't have to get into it too deeply. And I just, I, I don't want to get into it too deeply. I call it the amp. It's the Amplified Bible. And again, it's a translation. It's not perfect, but it brings out a lot that's really beautiful. So in Matthew, the 11th chapter, when you see this, when you read this, and even when it says in verse 1, when Jesus had finished his charge to his, his 12 disciples, and when, when Jesus gives a charge, or when the Word of God gives us a charge, it's, it's almost every single time in the present imperative. Right now, this is imperative, and of course it's always in the voice of grace. This is very imperative and something that won't change. And he charged his 12 disciples. He left there to teach and to preach in their Galilean cities. And when John in prison heard about the activities of Christ, he sent a message by his disciples. 
and asked him. <laughs> he asked him, are you the one who was to come or should we keep on expecting a different one? You know, the Psalms bring it out very beautifully. In Psalm 62, verse 5, it says, All right, my soul waits you upon God. He was waiting for an answer. The only answer we have from God, the God of the universe, and our Father is through Jesus Christ. He's the answer. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there's one mediator. Notice this. There's one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. And whenever I hear the man in any other realm other than referring to Christ, I know that I know where to look. I know where to keep my gaze. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, uh, that's what we hear, and that's what uh, we're to know. So he asked him that. And again, in Psalm 62, verse 5, it says, My soul waits you upon God. What does it take for us to wait? It takes a lot of grace. And who does he give grace to? Those that have humbled. We can't wait and trust him uh, without this humility because we have to wait on God, our Father. Because when we face him in Christ, do we face a judge? No. Nope. We, we, we face a, a loving Father because Jesus Christ took all of that judgment. So again, to have that relationship, to have the relationship of a father, you have to have Christ. You, you and I must understand foundational truths in Christ. Again, and this is in Matthew 11, verse 4, it says, Jesus replied to them and said, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. If you follow that all the way down through, those scriptures, and I don't want to spend the time reading all of those this morning. But when you see this, here's what it says in verse 14, if you follow it down again. It says, and if you are willing to receive and accept it. See? If you are willing, and that speaks of a submitted will, to receive and accept it. John himself is Elijah who was to come before the kingdom, before the millennial reign, and the millennial reign all through the scriptures in Malachi, especially in 4 verse 5 and many other scriptures, he came to, to speak that. And then in verse 15, this is what it says, He who has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. And a hearing here, in the Greek word, it speaks of always the submission. Okay, so when I submit, to the truths about the person of Christ and the work that he accomplished to God, his Father, okay, then what do I have? What do I experience? A heavenly Father. Because we are a heavenly people. The scriptures, and especially in Ephesians, the height of the, the Christian position that we have in Christ, we have a heavenly Father because we had a heavenly Christ that brought us that. And you'll see, we'll see that in these scriptures. So it says in verse 16, But to what will I liken this generation? What is this generation like? Now in Jesus' day, he's talking about his generation, what was going on. Right here, it's crystal clear. What is going on in our generation? Well, you have to read 
the two epistles of Timothy. The epistle of the first epistle of Timothy is te- it teaches literally church order, local assembly, godly order, how to function in a proper order in a local assembly. The second epistle of Timothy teaches how we can still function as individuals in a local assembly in the midst of disorder. And the generation that Jesus is talking about here, this is what he says, it's like little children sitting in the marketplaces who call to their playmates. I don't know, was Jesus being too hard or was he speaking the truth? They're like little playmates. We pipe to you, playing, playing wedding, and you didn't dance. We wailed dirges, playing funeral, and you did not mourn and beat your breast and weep aloud. For John came neither eating nor drinking with others. And they say, who? Who said this about John the Baptist? Who, who said it? The religious crowd of the day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. He has a demon. <laughs> he has a demon. He is fulfilling his call in Isaiah 40, verse 3, to prepare the way for Christ to come. And from the religious crowd, he, he said, they said, you have a demon. The son of man, in Matthew 11, verse 19, the son of man, and what's the difference between the son of God and the son of man? He's the son of God by virtue of his deity. He is become and is the son of man based upon the fact that he has a whole brand new race of people, which is incredible. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15, right through 17, that's who we are in a, in a beautiful expression. And so they said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking with others. And they say, behold, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors. And boy, those religious crowd, they hated tax collectors because tax collectors were those that the Roman government hired who were Jews, <laughs> sided against their own people and extorting from them. And they were hated. A friend of tax collectors, and especially wicked sinners. I don't know what, what other kind of sinners are there. I don't know. Uh, yet wisdom is justified and, and vindicated by what she does, her deeds, and by her children. Then he began to censure and reproach the cities. Now, again, remember, Jesus said, in my daytime, he said, the children, people, are like little children. And I see them, and they're playing in the marketplace. That's what people are like. That's what children are like. That's what adults are like when they don't know Christ. Listen, if we don't know Christ, if we don't know foundational truths, we don't understand the expression of a heavenly father. We just don't. Because watch what it says. And then he began to censure and reproach the cities, the people in them, in which most of his mighty works had been what? Performed because they did not change their mind, their hearts, their minds were not changed. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works were done in you, which were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would long ago have repented in sackcloth and ashes, and their hearts would have been changed, their minds. I tell you further, and then you can follow it all the way down. 
He had his rejection. He was rejected by the world system. That's right. He was completely and utterly rejected. Rejected. What did he do? Watch what it says. Watch what Jesus did in Matthew 11, verse 25. And I want to ask you, was Jesus on the earth? Yes. Where was his father? He's in the heavens. Couldn't function yet on the earth. Couldn't. Couldn't the way that he desired to, <laughs> I should say. At that time, in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, at that time, Jesus began to say, I thank you, what? Father. You know what he was saying? I can always be thankful, no matter what's going on. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I acknowledge openly and, and joyfully to your honor. Whew. Honor. Honor. Oh, God. Again, we talked about it yesterday again with, with Mike and what he was preaching. The reverence and honor for the word of God and for each other. It's priceless. It truly is. And if I don't know Christ, who he is in me and who I am in him, do I function properly with the Heavenly Father? And boy, do we need it, don't we? We certainly do. Well, and you have hidden these things from the wise and clever and learned. Who, were the, who was he speaking of, the learned? You know, what kind of learned? He said it was a knowledge that would puff up. Remember 1 Corinthians 8, 1? Knowledge puffs up, but love, not charity, but love, agape. Self-sacrificial love edifies, it builds up. So he, clever and learned and revealed to them to babies, to the childish, untaught, and unskilled. Now, when this says this, it, it's not just talking about young children. I want to make that clear in the preponderance of the Scriptures. Because when you read 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, when it says there, and remember, it's, it's not John the Apostle who, apart from God, is writing. He's just the pen. That's all he is. The Holy Spirit is using John as a pen, and he's writing. And he's saying, my little children. And when you read that, the word children there is technia, T-E-K-I-A. It's technia. And what he's teaching there is this. Even if you're a spiritual father, and that's necessary, or a young man or a babe, as this is brought out in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, you're still his children. You still need a father. Again, like we heard on Sunday, you know, we, had a, we have earthly fathers. And, and thank God to, for some of us, they were godly men and they were born again and they did the best they could. Were they perfect? Were they complete in their understanding of fatherhood? No, they did the best they could. And you know, it's the same with spiritual fathers. I don't know about you, but in your relationships, did your father ever fail you? Did you ever fail your father? Did it change your relationship? You know, the relationship is unchanged when we function in Christ. It is. Because only in Christ is the forgiveness of love that reestablishes and refocus, refocuses pure relationships in Christ. And that's a really precious thing to have. No wonder it says in Ephesians 5, verse 21, Submit yourselves one to another. 
in the reverence of Christ in that particular vessel. Boy. Again, we talked about it. The thing that's missing, and, and, and it comes from having a godly father, but you've got to have Christ. You have to know who Christ is. You don't have a father. You know, there's another, <laughs> I hate to even call it that, but the scriptures say in John 8, 44, Jesus, when he spoke to the religious crowd, the Pharisees, who hated him, the ones who said in John 18, 40, not this man, the ones who said, they cried out together, the religious crowd cried out together in John 19, verse 15, crucify him, get him out, murder him, get rid of him. That was the father of all lies in John 8, 44. Have you ever heard that God is the father of every human being? Have you ever heard that? He's the father of us all. It's never in the scriptures. That's why Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your fathers you'll do. You know, he was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in truth, and no truth was in him. Now, when it says there's no truth that was in him, where is the truth of a proper heavenly father, even an earthly one submitted to him? Is there any submission to an understanding of godly father, godly father apart from Christ? No, because that's why it says that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. It says this, the head of every man is who? Christ. When you have had headship of Christ, and headship of Christ, and we want to get into this, and I, I, I do, and I, again, I talked with Mike in Texas again, I want to get into two things, two heads, but where do two, two heads come from? Two seeds. We're going to see that in, in the future uh, word that we have. And so, when we get back to this, in, in Matthew 11th, the 11th chapter, that's what he's saying. The children... A spiritual dad, how does, he, how does he approach his heavenly father as a child? What does, it, what does it mean to be a child? You are completely and utterly dependent upon him for everything. Now, where was all that that was met for us to experience a godly father? Where was it met? It was in Christ. It was in Christ. His person and the accomplishment of his works that only he could do. And so it says this, you taught it to children, untaught and unskilled. That's how all of us are to approach the word of God. Not like we already know it. Not like we can do a thing in John 15, one through five without him, because in Christ, what is met? Well, in Philippians 4 and verse 19, my God, and to us, he, he not only governs us, but how does he govern us? A different than the world as a father. My God will supply, what? All your, it's singular, need according to his limitless riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And this is what makes it so very necessary to have, understand foundational teaching, positional truth, growth truths that enter into a proper experience and that thereby, in Christ, experience a heavenly father. Now, he says in 11, 
26 of Matthew in the Amplified. He said, yes, Father, I praise you that such was your gracious and good pleasure. Where was all the gracious and good pleasure of the Father met? It was in his Son. Is it important then to know and function experientially? And some of these terms, they're not hard to understand, you know. They're, they're not they're not hard. Like, for instance, when we have that word in, 80, about approximately 86 times in the book of Ephesians, we are in Christ. When you function in him, what do you function in? The love of the Father. In. And that word in, it's, it's called a locative of sphere. What's that mean? You're located. We are, where's our proper location? Where's the only place? It's in him. In him. In Christ. In Christ. And that's why, again, it says, that's why Christ is saying this. Now watch what it says here in 1127. All things have been entrusted and to, delivered to me by what? My Father. My Father. And no one fully knows and, understand, and, and, and accurately understands the Son, listen to this, except the Father. Watch this. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make him known. Did you, did you see that? Who makes him known? Remember the disciples? His own disciples that he said in John 14, verse 8, show us the Father. So make it sufficient. We need, we need sufficiency. We need to see the Father. Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, this is what he said. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The only way we can see a proper relationship with a heavenly Father. Listen, folks, we are a heavenly people. The Jews are God's earthly people. They are. We are a heavenly people. That's who we are. That's our, our position is in Christ, seated at the right hand of who? Father. Now, here's the difference the difference when we understand the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the difference is this. The kingdom of God is no matter what we see and no matter what in his permissive will he allows to go on, he's still governing everywhere, right? Because he is the God. What does he inhabit in Isaiah 57 verse 15? God inhabits what? Eternity. So go east and tell me when to stop. Go west, go north, go south. That means he is, that's the kingdom of God. He is ruling and reigning over everything. That's why we can trust him for everything. But the kingdom of heaven, remember, is what he taught his disciples, Jewish disciples, which would happen in the millennial reign. In the millennial reign. Pray this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew 6, verse 10. But for us, listen, folks, listen, and it's a, it's a clear-cut difference in understanding in the Scriptures. We are a heavenly people. We have a heavenly Father. And listen, the head of every man is who? Christ. The head of Christ is God. The head of the woman is the man. Proper order. You understand? Isn't that awesome? Now watch what he says. All things, in 1127, have been entrusted and delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows them. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. Why is that? 
because in, in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. You understand Christ, you're taught your positional truths, they enter into your experience through, gro- through growth and grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18. Now we function in a proper location. Our location has nothing to do with this world system. Listen, not a single thing. We, I talked about it again with my, Mike yesterday. Language, words, seriously, words. They don't change. The proper words that we use are here. They truly are. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, honestly. I really don't. And it's not said condemningly or accusingly. Because, listen, I can't even judge myself. Matter of fact, we need to know the difference between judgment, judging in the flesh, and discernment that comes through brokenness. And brokenness is the will that's submitted to Christ. And their life flows. But this is what it says. The Son, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make him known. Watch what it says, verse 28. He's telling us what he did when he was rejected, when he was misunderstood, when all of his problems, the things that he faced, Okay, and please, we need to remember, and these things, they definitely need repeating. He had a human nature. Jesus never had a sin nature. He was never tempted to sin like you and I. He had to learn in his humanity, (laughs) okay, in perfect submission without any question about it. He had to. But this is what he said. You know when all that happens, you know what? You want to, when you want to escape the lie that you're your sin, when you want to escape the lie that you're your worst day, when you want to escape the fact that you are your, you're your feelings and those things dictate to you, do you, want, do you want me to tell you? Because none of those things affected me, but I had to learn them so I could be a faithful high priest. I had to learn them so I could intercede for you and intercede for me. He never sinned, but boy, did it ever affect him, did it not? Like on the cross, oh Lord, without any question about it. But please remember, he never had a sin nature, ever. He had a human nature. And then he said this, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will give you rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. But it's going to take something. You need to take my yoke. Because I will tell you this. this, The the enemy has all kinds of yokes, attachments, and addictions just waiting for us. Now remember sin, because that that has been paid for. Again, it was brought out on Sunday in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. So, and that's eternity, right? <laughs> Our sins have been removed. Because Jesus, again, was that perfect sacrifice. And we see that in Leviticus, the first chapter. We see it in Numbers 19, verse 2. He had to be sinless to take our sins upon him. And that's why it even says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, to understand it properly, Jesus never became sin. He became the sin sacrifice for sin in 2 Corinthians 5 
and verse 21. So he said, come unto me, all you are, who what? Labor and are heavy laden, overburdened, I'll give you rest. But what? You need to take my yoke upon you. And what does it say? You learn of what? Who? Me. You know why? Because what he's doing here in teaching is he's going back, and, and just keep in mind, in John, the first chapter, if we want to look at what we would think to be like the oldest scriptures in the Bible, it would be John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Because even before Genesis, the beginning, and that beginning it's talking about, folks, is time. That's when time began. Because the parenthesis of time is eternity. And then sooner or later, in Revelations 10, verse 6, time will be no more. And that's why time is so valuable for us in terms of getting to know his person and what he's accomplished for us individually. And then we enter the fixedness in Revelations 22, 11 of eternity. But when he said this, you need to take my yoke. You need to take my yoke upon you. And what? Learn of me. Because in John 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning. It's talking about eternity. How, how else can we understand things? When did God begin? How long's eternity been? <laughs> so, but really what it's saying is, in the beginning, the Word. Notice, listen to what it says. The Word. The Word. That's why the Bible teaches us crystal clear that the full thought of God is Jesus Christ and he gave him as the word. Now when it says that in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning the word and when it says the word with the father, the word with as we has been brought out is P-R-O-S, pros. And it means this eternal affectionate embrace between the father, listen, between the father and the son, listen, that nothing could disturb or distract. Now, in that relationship, he came out, and what did he do? In John 1, verse 14. And the Word wasn't made. It became flesh at a particular time. Galatians 4, 4 brings it out. And became flesh, like us. We're going to see how it's like. When you see like, okay, when it says like, it's making it expressly clear he had a human nature. Unlike us, we have a not only a human nature, but it's made up of a, what? A sin nature, okay? And there's a huge difference in how we function and how we function under a heavenly Father. It's very, very clear, very, very important for us. So he said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. In my, in my heart. And you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment. Oh, boy, I wish we could understand this. And recreation, <laughs> and what that means. <laughs> and bless, blessed quiet for your souls, for my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Do you know why? Because he's the only burden bearer in 1 Peter 5, 7, in, John, in, in Psalm 55, in verse 22. Now, here's where we have the Father. And here's some verses. And let's just let the Scriptures, they do a great job of when we're 
teachable and when we are entreatable and when our will submitted, boy, the Holy Spirit can take those scriptures, can't he? We've all experienced that when we've been alone and, and we need and, and we need him. Where do you find a loving father? You find him in Christ. Remember, you see that in, again in Matthew 11, 27, okay? No man knows the Father. You know when it says in John 1, 18, it says no man has ever seen God in all his fullness. Do you know what the original says? It says no created being has ever seen God in all his fullness. Even the unfallen angels, they've never seen God in all his fullness. Why? Because he inhabits eternity. They've never seen him in all his fullness. Who's the only one who has? It's Christ. It's Christ. And there's certain ways that only they will know themselves forever. But as much as we need to know, in terms of having a Christ and a Heavenly Father, that's why Christ became flesh, dwelt among us. That means he lived just like us. Everyday job. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. He faced all, listen, he faced all of those seeming problems. He did. And did he meet them all? He's the answer. He's the answer for proper direction and guide. He'll guide us constantly to a loving father. But outside the person of Christ and outside the accomplishment of his work and not understanding growth truths, positional truths, and understanding the difference between God's earthly people and his heavenly people, we can get into some serious problems and trouble. And he doesn't want us that. Now here's John the sixth chapter. John chapter six. John chapter six. And this is brought out again beautifully here. In John 6, verse 44, it says, No man, again, no man can come to me except what? The Father. What's that mean? We just read it, didn't we, in Matthew 11, 27 to 30. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. How are we drawn to a loving Father, a heavenly Father? Through who? How do we even get into the family for him to be a father? It's Christ. It's his person and the work that he's accomplished. And for us to experience a heavenly father, we need a heavenly Christ. We need to know these positional truths. We do. And they be constantly, all of us, because we're all technia, <laughs> we're all children, they constantly have to be refocused and brought to a place with a will that's submitted and doesn't refuse the yoke the yoke of learning, the yoke of, the yoke of humility, to experience a loving Father. And boy, when that starts, and again, we talked about it again uh, yesterday in Texas with, with, with here, and, and it starts in the home. But how to function in a home, how to function in who we are in Christ is brought out clearly, the person and the accomplishment of Christ is brought out in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Then it goes right into how to function in a local assembly in the fourth chapter. Follow it through. You see how the third even starts. I have to be a prisoner of the Lord. What's a prisoner? He's got a yoke, and now he's captured by love. He's captured by Christ. 
he's captured. See how that is? See how it works? Those first three chapters, but where does that start? Individually, and where does it start? It starts in the home. If the home life is not right, will the local assembly be right? But where do we learn the home life and the individual truths about who Christ is and what he accomplished for the individual? Where do we learn that? It's in the local assembly, and that's brought out here. But we'll we'll get there as we wrap this up this morning. But Jesus said, no man, in John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. Now, do you remember when Abraham and Isaac were on their way up to the mountain range of Mount Moriah and a bunch of different mountain ranges there in, in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, when God told Abraham, take your only son, bring him up. Because I want to teach you something about what a loving father is like. I want to teach you a heavenly father, what he's like. I'm going to teach you. But first, listen, to have a heavenly father, what had to happen? What was the answer that he gave Isaac? And remember, again, he wasn't carrying a baby Isaac up there. Remember how old was Abraham when he had him? He was 100. So by this time, this is a man, a young man, but a man. And he had to agree and trust his father, being led by God the Father, to go up. And then he asked the question, we get everything that we need. But where's the sacrificial lamb? Where's that? And you know what he said to him? He said, my son, he said, Isaac, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Who was that? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. See how necessary to even understand a heavenly father and what a father's like, how necessary it is to understand who we are in Christ individually. Individually. And how much that's hated. And how the enemy will use anything and everything. You know, these scriptures... Jesus, when he looked down, did he, did, he, and did he know the end in Isaiah 46.10 from the beginning? The beginning of what? Eternity. How long's God been? He's never had a beginning. How long has he known all things? As long as he's ever been. Not one thing has ever taken him by surprise. That's why you and I can trust him in time. <laughs> For everything. No matter what it looks like, feels like doesn't matter. No wonder we walk by faith in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Faith dependence. We need to depend on Christ because he has met every need in Philippians 4, verse 19. He has. And he gives to us a loving father. We're going to see that uh, this morning. No man can come unto me except the father. He said, my son, in Genesis 22, verse 8, God will provide himself. Listen. A lamb. Of course, that's the lamb that Christ is. He, in, in Revelations 13, verse 8, listen, before you and I ever had a need, okay, for God to meet that, he had to be met. His love and justice, that's why they can't be separated. That's why some think they'll teach universalism. Some are going to get out of hell. You wouldn't believe the names. Your dad asked me them, and 
said, no, I, and I said, I'm not going to mention them. He said, no, tell me. <laughs> not because I'm something, you know, but because we need to teach the truth, not as a judge, but in Christ under a loving father. And it was a loving father who addressed Peter point blank and said, get behind me who? Satan. You're functioning under the wrong father. He's teaching you that these certain things are okay. He's teaching you this is who you are even as a Christian. Did you know that in Isaiah 46 verse 10, he declared the end of all humanity, every human being, from the beginning in eternity, Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God are all his works. Whose are they? Huh. The Lordship Salvation crowd, the Covenant Theologian crowd. All his works. <laughs> we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works that were already beforehand in Ephesians 2.10. No wonder grace in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, is always in the passive voice. And we can choose to submit our will, and when we do, through a yoke, our will yoked up to him, now we can function in the middle voice. We can actually participate, just like Jesus thought. And when did he ever not have a loving father? When's the only time he couldn't experience it? When he was dealing with our sins. In Matthew 27, verse 46, prophesied in Psalm 22 and verse 1 which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. That's John 6, verse 44, with Matthew 11, verse 27. And here, in John 6, 65, and he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Did he, did he give us Christ so we could have a Father? Did he? He did. Do I know my Father apart from Christ? Now watch, and this is how it works, in, in the beauty of what it is. And this why, listen, this is why it's so necessary for us to constantly be taught this, because we're children. And what are children like when they don't have a spiritual dad? What are they like? How do they function? And you know, our only other option is who? Is the John 8, 44. And how does he desire to father you and I in the flesh? The flesh in Romans 8, 9 is in us, but are we of it any longer? In, of, words. Did you know that God knew every generation what they would pass through, what it would be like? You know, your day, the young crowd today, it's different than my day. And maybe even some of the language. Did God know all of that from the beginning? This is the language. This is ours. Honestly, it is. Because words have meaning. Whether we realize it or not, whether we forget it or not, whether we do. And that's why words, that's why we can hurt each other when we don't function in Christ and under a loving Father. We can hurt each other. And you know, those wounds, word wounds that are thought force, a lot worse than physical, because they can heal. Sometimes those others take a long time to heal. But between us, in our relationship in Christ, that's why it's so necessary to have forgiveness. Because that's the confirmation of his love. And it's only his love 
that heals. And that's why even when someone else doesn't accept my forgiveness, I can still live in protection and still pray for them and pray for each other because we have a loving Father. Now, this is what Paul said, and I thought this was beautiful um, this morning, and we'll go into these scriptures. We won't, have a time, we won't have the time to go into them. Possibly we can go into them, um, and I'll just read them, and then we're done. Uh, we'll go into them possibly Wednesday and uh, Friday. But I'm going to just read, and this is a, a man of God functioning in his proper place in a local assembly, and this is what his desire is when he functions in Christ. This is his desire. In Galatians 4, verse 19, my little children, for whom I again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed and molding within you. Now, is that ever going to stop until we see him face to face? It's not. That's part of the calling for a, uh, what we call in Ephesians 4.11, the pastors and teachers and functioning as spiritual dads, right? Functioning. And if you want to know uh, spiritual fatherhood, you can see that in 1 John chapter 2, 12 to 14. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 1. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was speaking to the Pharisees? And don't you think that he was just speaking to the Pharisees, but looking down through the corridor of time, and I believe during the church age where certain things happened, where he said in Matthew 23, verse 9, call no man your father on earth. Did you hear that? We have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father, and that heavenly father is... is is in, in Christ inseparable. But he said, call no man father. You think he was looking down through the corridor of time? Is that anyone's title? While you're on earth, is any man our father outside, a proper father outside of understanding who we are in Christ, the person of Christ and the accomplishment of his work? In what age group in what generation does the word not apply? Should the word be adjusted for the generation? Should it be? Or should we adjust? No matter what age, no matter what generation, should we adjust to the word? You tell me. Because it's the only way you're going to function, you and I, properly in Christ and have a spiritual dad. It's the only way. Otherwise, we're just going to be striving, all of us. He said, my little children, for who I am, and again, suffering birth pangs until Christ be, be formed in, completely informed, be formed in you. That's part of it. And we, we constantly need that, all of us. Look what it says, and I'll read these, and again, like I said, we're going to stop, and we're going to stop in plenty of time. Watch this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, now we're going into functioning in local assemblies. Please remember some things, okay? You may leave a local assembly, but you can never leave the body of Christ, okay? Because whatsoever God does, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, he does what? Forever. You can't leave the body of Christ because it was grace that put you there and God doesn't change his mind. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord your God, I change not. 
okay? And he doesn't move, not even a shadow in James 1, verse 17. But there in Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg of you, that you walk worthy of the vocation where you were called, with all lowliness and meekness. Now, do I have that without a yoke? Do I even have it without a yoke? Forbearing one another, what? In love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, there is what? One body. Many local assemblies. One body. And one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Watch this. One Lord. Who's the Lord? That's Christ. One Lord. One Lord. And what? One faith. One means of depending. One means of absolute dependence. One baptism. Remember, please, folks, remember what baptism is. It doesn't have anything to do with life. It has to do with death. We were baptized in his death. Okay, that's over. Romans 6, 9. He that dies once dies no more. Is ever going to be separated from Christ. We can be experientially, never positionally. That's why sin does not change relationship. It doesn't touch, touch relationship. It does touch fellowship and communion and intimacy, yes. But this is what it brings out clear. Clearly, one baptism. Because out of death comes what? Life. One God, listen, one God and Father of what? All. In this sense... He's the Father of all, only in Christ. It's crystal clear. Who is above all and through all and in you all. Father. Father. And we're going we're gonna to read and we'll get into uh, some uh, other scriptures that will help us to understand these things. But we'll see it in a very beautiful way in 1 Thessalonians, uh, the second chapter. And we're gonna, we'll see it beautifully. That's what makes it so very, very, very vital for every single one of us to constantly have this teaching. And that's why even, even honestly, even in a local, any local assembly, okay, even in, in any local assembly, there are pastors, okay? No such thing in all the scriptures as senior pastors. Because then who are the rest? Juniors. I don't see it in the scriptures. He never gave that to one man. He gave it to function properly. There may be lead speakers, as is brought out clearly again in the scriptures. But boy, he's given us these gifts. He's given them to us all. And they, they become necessary. But they are in agreement. And the fact is, is there one body? Is there only one body? Yes. But do we have one mind? Would God teach something one way and then teach it another? Would it be something taught about who he is and then something differently to other people, to one generation, to another, to another person? Thank God. Only one God, one Father of us all, who deeply loves us. But we don't experience the depth of that intimacy because that's what Jesus said in John 20, verse 17, when Mary was at the tomb and she was looking for a dead Christ. <laughs> she forgot all that stuff that he told her, all that truth that he was going to rise, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise again the third day. 
that that would actually happen the third day, and of course, which it did. But she was looking for a dead Christ. But when she heard him say her name, and names in the Bible speak of character. He always speaks to us. The Father speaks to us. Listen, in the truth and grace, the grace and truth of the character that's been made yours and mine individually in Christ. It's very necessary, honestly. These truths are very necessary. And when he said her name, she said, Rabbani, teacher, teacher, teacher. And some would say, when we don't understand and we just go by translations, when some say, uh, you know, like, touch me not. Jesus was so pure that, you know, Mary was still sinning and don't touch. It's not true at all. She wanted to grasp him, hold him, and keep him all for herself. But then he said, I want you go. You take me with you. And you go and you tell those that I taught. I'm going to what? My Father and my God. He meant that exclusively. He's speaking of his deity in the first part. Who's ever going to be equal to that? And only God. I'm going to my Father and my God, but know what he said? Now he's speaking as the Son of Man. I'm going to your Father and your God because we are all one in him. And we don't hear different things. We don't come together and speak the same thing and then go privately and speak something different. We're all one, aren't we? We're all one in him. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So it's, it's beautiful. Boy, we need a loving father, don't we? Thing that's missing most. But it's missing because truths about who Christ is in his person and what he's accomplished is little known. It's a little known, but thank God we can have him in measure. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you. We thank you and praise you for this truth. I ask you, bless this day. Uh, be glorified. And if you are glorified in us with the submission of our will through Christ, we'll be blessed. Bless us as we go to work. Bless us as we, whatever we do today, the, uh, the women, bless our wives, bless the husbands and and, and uh, whoever they are, Father, I ask that, and we know some of them here, but just to bless and lead and guide and direct through Christ to a loving Father. And thank you that in Christ there's no separation, that Christ removed all distance between the Father and us. And oh, how he has to remove that distance in us. All distance has been removed as far as God's concerned, but the teaching of the person and the accomplishment of Christ and his work removes the experiential distance so that we can have an equal experience to the equal of our position in Christ. And Father, just bless. Bless us as we go. Bless us as we go and visit and minister and uh, as we work with our hands. Uh, some, some need healing constantly. I think it's all of us in measure. And just continue to have your way through Christ in us, who's, who fulfilled all your will. We just thank you and praise you for each person here, for what you're doing. Um, we're just thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. It's 8 o'clock. See? I stopped. <laughs> yeah.